Um, well, we are in the third part of a series that uh, we've just titled Mosaic. And most of us understand what that means. We, that it's, uh, mosaic is, uh, is a piece of art or a, 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 a something that's created from a bunch of other things that didn't maybe necessarily go together whether it's a, a bunch of fractured materials or somebody taking a, a bunch of little pictures out there for a long time you'd see on Facebook or online where you'd have all these little pictures of the U.S. and it would, then they'd put it together and make the president's face or, or Abe Lincoln or something like that. And that. That's a form of a mosaic where all of these maybe disconnected things that don't quite go together all of a sudden begin in the hands of a master artist to come together and make sense and have meaning and purpose. Well, that's what this is about. Our lives, all of us, there's not a person in this room that doesn't look at our, some aspect of our lives and see at least some place that we go, what? Why? I don't understand this. This is broken and messed up, and this is not what I thought it was going to be. And that can be a stumbling block and a place of frustration for us in our relationship with God. And the truth is, is what God's wanting us to do is instead of ignoring it or hiding it or pushing it away or making it the center of our lives and leaving it in its broken state and making a shrine to our failures and our brokenness and finding our identity in that, He wants us to put it in His hands and let Him do something beautiful with it. And that's what this is all about. If you open your notes, it says God created order and life from chaos. We've gone back to Genesis 1 and jumping into this series because God is a creator. That's one of the first things we learn about him. And what, he, what did he start with? He started with chaos. He started with a mess. And he is a master artist. And he can turn our broken, chaotic mess into beauty. Let's look at Genesis 1.1. Into in the living Bible. It says, When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a shapeless, chaotic mass. Other translation says it was it was uh, was a form, it was a void, and it was and it was there was it was out without form. You couldn't have shape, you couldn't make sense of what was happening there. I love the living translation says it was a chaotic mass when the Spirit of God was brooding over that i love that concept of the spirit of god brooding somebody broods they're they're taking some time they're spending there they're thinking they're they're mulling it over there's this little sense of protection of it like a mama hen brooding over their chicks and and it's just making sure that they're in a they're in a fragile place the word of god tells us that that a bruised reed a bruised reed is a reed that, reed that grows up, and if you've been out to the lake or whatnot, you take one of those reeds growing up there and you, you bend it, it'll bruise it. And all of a sudden it makes it, it, makes it weak in that spot. And the, <coughs> the, uh, or if it gets bumped real hard, you know, a little stuff on the inside gets broken, it gets bruised. And it says that God, a, a bruised reed, he's not going to go ahead and just be done with it and break it. A smoldering wick which is this little candle that at one point was supposed to be bringing light and doing all of the wonderful stuff that a candle is supposed to be doing, but this smoldering wick, it's gone down, it's not putting out any light, and it almost looks fully extinguished, but there's just this little hint of something happening there, 
It says God's not going to snuff that out. That place of sensitivity and brokenness and right on the edge of, of just everything being over. God is there protecting that and going to work with that. That, bro, that bruised reed is going to work with that smoldering wick. He's going to bring it back into flame. And he does that with our chaos. That that's what he started with. So many times we think of God coming out on the, creating the universe. And wh- where did the chaotic mass come from? I don't know. God goes back forever. The Bible decided, decided to pick up at some point in the infin- infinite existence of God and start telling the story. And we pick up here that there was a chaotic, chaotic mass. Um, just this stuff that didn't make sense. Most of us, when we think about creating, we almost think that God just st- stepped out into the inky blackness of like this blank canvas. No stars, no nothing. And then he starts saying, hey, let there be light. And boom, you know, just throw some stars around and it looks all cool and awesome. But this shows a different story. We look at the scriptures and it wasn't that. We tend to think that we need to present God with this little blank canvas. God, I've got all the junk out of my life. God, I've got all this, and I'm just a blank canvas for you, Lord. Paint on me. We're not a blank canvas. We're a chaotic ball of mess. And you know what God says? He says, you know what? Everything you've ever seen, I created it out of a chaotic ball of mess. You're not the first one I've ever dealt with. You put it in my hands, and we'll, you'll see what can happen out of this. Most of us, when we, we don't use the word chaos a whole lot. We think about chaos, and most of us will think maybe about like our kid's room or something. Or maybe certain times of the week, maybe our own room. You know, life you hit the, hit the floor running, and, it's a, and uh, maybe things get left out. But really, this, this concept of chaos isn't this thing of just stuff that's in disarray. It's this concept of an active mess. It's a mess in process. You walk in and it's a mess and you blink and it's a different mess. It's growing. It's, it's crazy. Instead of your kid's room, we're going to get a good picture of, a chaos, of chaos that God can deal with. Let's think of a two-year-old, okay, on Red Bull, okay, that found the special chocolate, the X-Lax, And an open can of paint in your living room. That's chaos. It is an active mess. It is you. We can't bring this to a close fast enough. Something we can't ignore one part. As soon as one, we start cleaning up one thing, another thing breaks loose. That is chaos. And so many times a lot of us would say, you know what? It would be okay. I could deal with the mess if it would just stay the same mess. And I could start in one little corner of my life and begin to work through and clean up and I'll give me a little place to stand and, I'll, and then I'll begin to work on the edges. But as soon as I do that, something else slips in and it's one big chaotic mess. Most of us, as we're going through life, when we come to God, that's us. We're like, my goodness, it's just, it just keeps growing. That's where God meets us. He meets us right there. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is close. We keep coming back to the scripture. It's close to those whose hearts have been broken. 
And he saved those whose spirits have been crushed. When we think it's over, God says, give it to me and you'll see it's not over. Something beautiful and something awesome and something lovely can come out of that. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. It's not that God causes all things and then therefore makes good come out of it. No, you and I and a fallen world and a real enemy create some real messes. But there's no, nobody is as good as creating a mess as God is at fixing a mess. He's just better. He's just better. So we can't say, oh, God can't do anything with this. No, he can. He can. That's the promise of Romans 8, 28. And God can make something wonderful come out of even our worst situations. And today we're going to talk about broken dreams. Because last week we talked about the fact of dealing with a broken spirit. And just having that place of just being on the, just not having any hope. And so many times that comes out of our dreams and our aspirations and everything we thought life would be coming dashed to the ground. And we look up and we go, I just never thought this is where I'd be. I just never thought this is where I'd be. And I want us to look at the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph starts out pretty strong, okay, especially on Joseph's behalf. It starts out strong. Let's look at Genesis 37. Now, this isn't Joseph of Mary and Joseph, and well, this is Joseph way back, okay? This is Joseph even uh, before Moses. And I uh, know, sorry, this is, uh, yes, it is. I'm getting, um, thank you, it is. And um, anyways, Jacob loved Joseph. Jacob had a bunch of boys. And he loved Joseph, which at the time was his youngest boy, more than all of his other sons. Here he is. He's the favorite. Because he had been born to him when he was old. He made a long robe with full sleeves for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than he loved him, they hated the brother so much that they would not even speak to him in a friendly manner. Things start out pretty strong. He's the latecomer to the party, and he ends up being the favorite. And dad makes him this awesome, wonderful robe. Other, other translations where, where we get the whole coat of many colors and all of that stuff. is. And um, when you really look into it, it doesn't necessarily say that there was multiple colors. It was just this elaborate, this elaborate robe. And that his brothers took issue with it. And then now there's some, some family tension, and they hate him. And it says, and then over time, Joseph had a dream. And all of a sudden, things began to get a little bit exciting for Joseph again. And Joseph had a dream, and then he got excited about it, and he told his brothers about it. And then they hated him even more. And then he tried to go, listen, listen, I want to explain this to you. <clears throat> listen to the dream I had. We were all out in the field tying up sheaves of wheat. We're all out working, you know. They're probably saying, wow, that is a dream, Joseph. You out working, buddy? You're the favorite of daddy. Hmm, well, this is already starting pretty interesting. We're the ones out working all the time. It says, well, we're all out working and in the fields, and we're tying up our sheaves of weed. And when my sheaf <coughs> got up, then the one laying there, God all of a sudden got up, and it stood up straight. And then the rest of your sheaves all formed a circle around mine, 
and they bowed down to it. Isn't this awesome? I'm going to grow and get big and get powerful, and y'all are going to bow down before me. You can tell Joseph's pretty immature here. And, um, and so the, uh, his brothers respond, do you think that you're going to be a king and a ruler over us? His brothers asked, and then they hated him even more because of the dreams that he had had and that they were about them. Here is Joseph with this dream from God about his destiny and his future and what he think, thought things were going to be about. He goes to share it with his brothers, hoping, I guarantee you, he was hoping that it would create some sort of family bond and connection and they would get excited for him. They did not, even remotely, and he should have known better. And all of a sudden, they begin to hatch a, pl- hatch a plot to get rid of him. And they do some really dastardly messed up stuff. Now, these are the guys that when you read about the 12 tribes of Israel, these are, the, these are those leaders. These are those guys who are all the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. All these guys bind together to get rid of Joseph. And the, Joseph comes out, and he was on dad's assignment to go out and check on the flocks. And they see him coming from a distance, and there he is, riding along, going to come and report and check Tell dad how things were going. They didn't like little brother being in charge and being the manager. They were upset about it. And they seen from a distance and they said, you know what, we've got a plan. And what we're going to do is we're just going to kill him. And we're just going to take him out. And we can say a wild animal got him. And finally his older brother steps up and, and he that has some authority there and says, no, 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 this is horrible. We can't kill him. Here's what we'll do. We'll sell him into slavery. At least he'll still be alive. We'll fake his death. And we'll tell dad that a wild animal tore him up and, and, and killed him and we weren't able to find his body. And, uh, but here's his coat. And then he'll still be alive and we won't be guilty of our brother's death. Everybody's like, all right, that's, we wanted to just kill him, but we'll do that. And so they stick him in a hole, hang on to him, wait for some uh, from, uh, traders to come by. They sell him into slavery and away he goes into slavery into Egypt sit there and in this moment he's standing on the auction block stripped naked before everybody and is being sold this is not where he thought this was going his dream this is not where he thought it was going all of a sudden his his, could potentially his hope in God could have just been absolutely crumbled right there. But there's a passage of scripture that says in that moment when, when uh, the guy who's going to buy him is looking at him, says that the Lord was with him and that he was a prosperous man. And then he gets bought. And this is before, and he's getting sold into slavery. He says God's with him, and he's a prosperous guy, and he's getting sold into slavery. He can't, even, he can't even have anything that he does. How can he be prosperous? Because God was with him. He gets sold into slavery, and he works hard. He's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redouble up. I'm going to do this, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be a good, a good servant here. All of a sudden, he's just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Well, he pretty much comes up the ranks. Pretty soon, he's the chief servant. 
He's wearing the fine robes again. He has rule of the house. It says that the guy who bought him, his name is Potiphar, says that that guy doesn't even check into anything that Joseph's in charge of. He just lives his life. He's just like awesome. He comes in and just gets a sandwich and stuff and doesn't even see if, if things are being taken care of. He's just taking it easy. Well, Potiphar has a wife, and Joseph was apparently a good-looking young man. And all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife begins to pursue Joseph. Joseph is in a foreign country. He's a slave. He had every reason to just throw off all of his convictions and all of that stuff. And he resists this lady who's coming on to him. And the Bible is very graphic She's, she, of what she says to him. She's like, my honey's out. I want you to sleep with me now. And he just resists and resists. And finally, she can't take it anymore. And she throws herself at him. And she grabs his garment. She is just like out of control with lust for this guy. And this young guy... Just all of a sudden, just the righteousness rises up, and he just tears out of there. Has to come out of his outer robe. He's not running out naked. He comes out of his outer robe, and he just splits, and his robe is left there. Well, this just ticks her off. She is so angry that this guy resisted her and said no to her. Then her husband comes home, she totally flips it on his head and says, Joseph, threw himself at me, and he tried to rape me, and here is his garment that he left after, he, after I pushed him off, and you need to do something about this. Well, Potiphar was heartbroken. He didn't think Joseph was capable of that, but he's not going to tell his wife, you're, you're lying to me, woman. All of a sudden, she's public with it in the household. He knows he has to do something, and he has him locked in prison. Now he did the right thing. He didn't sleep with his boss's wife. He did the right thing. And you know what his boss did? He throws him in jail. He says, I did what's good to you. I made your household grow. Your wife tried to sleep with me and I resist her and you throw me in jail? Yes, this is in the Bible. I'm not making up any details. And he is in the jail, had the dream. And going, oh, first I'm a slave. And then God, you brought me up and things began to turn around. And I began to be seen as a respected servant and I was a life I could live with. And God, now I'm in jail. Now I'm in prison for something I didn't even do. And somehow he stays the course and he makes his heart adjustment and he just begins to be a really good prisoner. To the point that he gets a little bit of extra duties and he gets and he's being awesome about it. And pretty soon the jailers are turning the have turned the running of the prison over to Joseph. And he's just he's a guy who can just get things done, and he's just getting things done as a prisoner. And eventually. Eventually, he ends up as a prisoner because of his connection with God and being able to, to interpret dreams. He ends up standing before the most powerful guy in the whole world, Pharaoh. Interprets the Pharaoh's dream, 
I think it's amazing that how he could have said, you know what, I'm no good with drinks. I had one. I'm not living it. I didn't understand it. How am I worth? I'm supposed to tell you about yours. But he didn't. He said, I'm not the one that's good at this, but God is, and I'm gonna and God will give me the interpretation. He interprets his dream. It saves the entire nation of Egypt with a horrible you think we're in a bad drought. They were in a horrible went into a horrible drought. Saves the entire nation of Egypt, and he ends up as the prime minister of Egypt. The drought spreads. His brothers come and reconnect with him eventually. And you notice we started this in Genesis 37. There's a lot of story to tell. We pick up again in Genesis 50. It says, and then his brothers themselves came down and bowed before him. Here we are before you as slaves. They don't know it's Joseph. They think it's some guy. They think their brother's dead and gone and is a slave. And they came and they bowed before him. It says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I can't put myself in the place of God. You plotted evil against me. God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what happened. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you and your children. So he reassured them with kind words that touched their heart. He had every reason in the world to not forgive. They had done the, they had done the worst thing they possibly could to a brother. And here he is, and all of a sudden, he finds himself, and he's been risen up as the prime minister, the most powerful country in the land, and there are all his brothers bowing there before him, just like his dream. Did it come about in the way that he thought it would? No. Did it necessarily even come about it the way that God maybe even initially planned? I don't think so. I don't think God planned for him to be abused and treated that way. But Joseph stayed true to God, and God took every piece and put it together. And it's one of the foundational pieces of the word of God that set this tribe of Israel apart. Later, Moses would lead them out, but it was a divine thing that they went into Egypt. See, our dreams and them not coming together exactly the way that we think that, okay, because it looks like there's no way, it looks like it's so broken and so messed up that there's no way, then it's now time for me to just discard this and to get a new dream. It was never, ever Joseph's intent for, from God for him to get a new dream. The intended result of the anointing and the gifting on Joseph's life was to be fulfilled. So you and I, we need to let the Spirit of God give us the courage and the inspiration to dream again. Acts 2.17 says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. We think of dreams being for the young. Somebody graduating from high school, which is about to happen. Man, what are your dreams? What are your aspirations? We don't go to somebody who finally decided they're going to retire. 
put in there 30 years and 65 years old and go up to them and go, what are your dreams? But the word says it's going to give the older generation dreams. It's going to keep us inspired with vision for our whole lives. There's never a place. You never hit a day where it's not appropriate to dream anymore. You never hit that with God. There's always purpose and destiny. If we're breathing, then God is for us. I got to be at the last pastor's conference with uh, Papa um, John Osteen. Whether or not you I'm not going to poll your opinions about his son, Joel Osteen. I think there's some great ministry that's taking place there. His daddy was Pastor Lakewood, obviously, before him. And I was at his pastor's conference and it was obviously not in the big building that they're in now but it was still in a huge facility that would seat four or five thousand people this guy's older up in his years just seen God do some incredible ministry it started a little storefront church they seen God do some incredible stuff here's a guy in the last couple of years of his life and he's talking to a bunch of pastors and he's there and he's as serious as could be and he says you know what I'll my plans or for us to get, and it wasn't called the Compact Center at the time, but it was where the, 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 the Rockets played. And he said, for us to get that arena for a church, and for us to turn this thing into a prayer chapel. Man, of course, all those pastors are just going crazy, you know, just this, this old guy seeing something that was beyond most pastors' dream of a, a church running thousands. And he, and he saw something bigger. And then he passed away. It was alive in his heart. I don't think it's any accident that his son is fulfilling the extension of that dream. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What we cannot do is let the bumps and bruises and the stuff that we give ourselves and life throws at us and other people throw at us ever beat us down to where we quit asking and thinking. That's ultimately what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to say, you know what, I'm just going to purpose to just be cool with whatever and I'll just get through life and lump it through and I'll be happy in heaven at some point. No. He want that we're supposed to continually be at this place where we're growing, where we going before God, we're asking and imagining. See, folks, we need to let God be the author of our dreams, and then He will be the finisher of those dreams. Romans eight says, "Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires." The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. My greatest desire as your pastor isn't to necessarily have any influence over the details of your life. God's called you. You hear God for you better than anybody else on the planet. My desire is to keep you at a place where you are walking in a place where you are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I know you can't go wrong. I trust the Holy Spirit in your life. I trust Him. If you'll just stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit, listen to the Holy Spirit, be in a place where you can trust what the Spirit of God is saying, even if it doesn't 
fully makes sense to you, man, life is going to go forward and go good for you. As soon as you begin to say, nope, I'm going to set the parameters and I'm going to throw God the little token thing, then, man, all of a sudden it's not going to work out. My desire is to see you walk in the Spirit. Stay attentive to Him. See, Proverbs 16.1 says, To humans belong the plans of the heart. We make plans. We do it. We almost can't stop it. But the Lord... But from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. He's the one that's putting these things together. All a person's ways seem pure to them. You ask somebody, rarely does somebody sit up and go, Yeah, I'm being, a, I'm being a jerk right now. My big plan in life is to just hurt as many people as possible. Rarely will you see that. Everybody thinks, No, my, my heart's pure in this deal. All a person's ways seem pure to them. But true motives are weighed by the Lord. That's why we've got to stay connected with the Spirit of God. Commit the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. Hebrews 12. <clears throat> Nat referenced it today in, uh, in our time of communion. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, of what we believe, of what we're moving for, what we put our, what we cause to create an anchor to our lives, what we're moving towards. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Folks, God's got an incredible plan. The mosaic is still being built. Let's not lose heart. Let's keep even the little, the, the little fractured parts. Let's keep them in his hands. And let's believe God to carry about that ultimate plan for our lives. We need to embrace the grace. His anointing and his life on us. Embrace the grace and let God turn your broken into beauty. My heart, my prayer, is that we, we would dare to dream God's dreams. That we would be willing to quiet ourselves and say, God, I give you my plans. Lord, what are yours for me? And then allow him to grow those things up and begin to take steps towards him. I'm telling you, just the, this, the world would be rocked if all of us in this room would just step forward and do that. Little by little, day by day, it would just impact the whole globe. Man, I'm telling you, God is for us. God is for us. And this all begins, the first step in this and getting in line and stepping into what all God has for us is embracing that first thing the Holy Spirit's telling us, which is that you need a Savior and Jesus is Him. We talk about this every week. That's the launching pad. We get right with God, we, get, we embrace His love and His grace, and then everything is, we just step into all of this awesome stuff in Him. This isn't about jumping through a bunch of hoops to make Him happy with us. He reconciled the world to Himself in Christ. Let's, let's embrace it. I want to create a quiet moment with nobody looking around. And if that's you here today, and you say, Brandon, I want that. I want that life in Christ, the forgiveness that's mine in Jesus. I want that. And if that's you today, I want you to just lift your hand. And we're going to pray with you. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes. 
Oh, God is so good. Let's just lift your voices together. Believers, they've, they've already declared it in their hearts. So we're going to do it with our mouths. Let's just do it with them. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus. That he died for me so that I can have life. So that I can have your spirit live within me and guide me from the